<clears throat> okay, uh, time to record. Baalzaman's still not here. Ooh, maybe I have time to watch one more episode. I love this theme song. Oh, hey, balls. I'm sorry. I had my headphones in. I couldn't hear you. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was, uh, I was just about to watch an episode of something. I didn't know you'd be here yet. Uh, you ready to record? Of course I'm ready to record. And what exactly are you watching that had you humming like that? Uh, Angel? I'm pretty sure I brought it up on the podcast before. It's been a while. It's a great old show. Why? Do you have a problem with it? Angel. Sounds dumb. Isn't that one of those winged messenger warrior guys that work for the creator of your world or whatever? I, uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of what angels are, but that's not what the show's about. It's about a vampire with a soul, and he helps the helpless. Oh god, the main character's a drakkar? I, I, I suppose they're pretty enough for show business, but still... Dumbest Brit. <laughs> well, you know, that refers to some celebrities, too. Okay, first off, I would call you a jackass for that celebrity comment if you were not the servant to Ultimate Evil. But the Drakkar comment, I am not going to let slide. Like, vampires are so much cooler in our mythos than your Wheel of Time mythos, okay? And Jealous would tear a Drakkar to pieces, all right? He'd probably, like, rip his wings out with his bare hands and then break his neck for good measure. Well, that's actually, uh, pretty brutal for a good guy. Uh, wait, aren't vampires supposed to be evil in your world, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cursed by gypsies, lost his soul, got his soul back, and now he can feel all the torment of all the evil things he did while he was a vampire for a century. It's pretty tragic, but then he goes on to be a good guy. But I think we're talking about Angel too much here when we just mean, like, I don't know. We need to, we need to get on with the podcast. Yeah, well, you're the one stalling, not me. Should I, should I leave? You can watch your show, I mean... No, 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 no. We gotta, we gotta get to this. Uh, hello everybody and welcome back to Gleeman Radio, your home for the return to the Wheel of Time podcast. Today, we're gonna be covering chapter 21, Listen to the Wind. We've got a Nynaeve POV and I'm so excited about it. In this episode, Nynaeve discovers a secret about herself she'd rather, um, not have learned. Yeah. Balsman, you ready for the spoiler intro? Yeah, 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 I'm ready. <clears throat> this is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms. So take heed, for I am Baalzaman, heart of the dark, the creator of this miserable content. Gleeman Tom has read the series cover to cover, book to book, so... If you've yet to read the entire series all the way through, well, who's to blame, listener? Not I, who went and ruined 
the greatest fantasy series ever. Not I. All right, Baldman, that was pretty great. Thanks. Uh, you ready to do the recap, or do you want to go and let me do it? Because I'm going to be honest, I really just want to get into the naive chapter. I really do. Let's do it. God, you are way too excited about that angry little braided child's chapter. I, I don't know why you like her so much. She's constantly angry and tugging on her braid and, and just treating everyone around her like crap. Honestly, I'm just happy I don't have to stay here for the rest of the discussion. Oh, God, I'm going to have to recap it next time, aren't I? Oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I am excited about the Nynaeve chapters because I love Nynaeve. Get over yourself. Don't worry about it. I'll just write you something up to say for the next time. Do you do you want to just cover the recap or not? Yes, yes, fine. I have things to do anyways. Let's see. Chapter 20, Dust on the Wind. That was the last one, right? Ah, uh, let's see. The whole gang was being chased down by my minions, and then Mashadar showed up and took care of some of my own men. If the Aes Sedai kills some Trollocs in Murdral, I can handle it. It's an adversary, and they're doing well for themselves. It makes things more interesting. But when Mashadar kills my troops... I hate that city. I hate it! At least we didn't have to deal with Mordeth again. Well, anyways, la la la, the gang split up, mostly with Rand. Nobody listened to him, even though they chose Theron to be their leader. They're like, yes, we'll follow you. But then the first sign of trouble, they, they all went in their separate ways, and it made it so much easier to chase them down. But somehow, they still escaped. I, I, I really, I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I don't know. And then the uh, dragon, uh, Luce Theron, ended up on some ship with some traitor for Ilion. Is that enough for you? Is that good? Because I'm leaving now. I've got shit to do. All right. Good luck on the rest of your podcast. Aw, he told me good luck on the podcast. You know, guys, I really think Balsman's warming up to me. Maybe one of these days he won't give me horrific nightmares every night. That'll be nice. Yeah. Alright, folks. On to the chapter breakdown. But first, the clip of the day. Let's get to it. The first time you guys will be hearing some Kate Reading stuff, if you haven't listened to the audiobooks. Oh, I love Kate Reading's narration. Let's get on with it. She wanted to remain cold and calm, but her voice quivered with anger. What have you meshed Egwene and the boys in? What filthy Aes Sedai plots are you planning to use them in? The Aes Sedai picked up her cup and calmly sipped her tea. When Nynaeve was close, though, Lan put out an arm to bar her way. She tried to brush the obstruction aside and was surprised when the warder's arm moved no more than an oak branch would have. She was not frail, but his muscles were like iron. Tea? Moiren offered. No, I don't want any tea. I would not drink your tea if I was dying of thirst. You won't use any Emmonsfield folk in your dirty Aes Sedai schemes. You have very little room to talk, Wisdom. Moiren showed more interest in her hot tea than in anything she was saying. You can wield the One Power yourself, after a fashion. Nynaeve pushed at Lan's arm again. It still did not move, and she decided to ignore it. Why don't you try claiming I am a Trolloc? 
Moran's smile was so knowing that Nynaeve wanted to hit her. Do you think I can stand face to face with a woman who can touch the true source and channel the one power, even if only now and then, without knowing what she is? Alrighty, folks, time to get into that chapter breakdown today, and as you know, I'm a little bit excited that we got a Nynaeve chapter. I, I just, I just am. Plus, we got some Kate reading. I, I just, yes, I'm, I'm so into it. I don't know how many of you have, are, who are listening to this podcast have listened to the audiobooks, you know, so I don't know if you know about Michael Kramer, Kate Redding, and their narrations. Uh, fun fact, I don't know if any of you would know this. But uh, those two narrators that you've been hearing at the beginning of these podcasts are actually, uh, from what I understand, legitimately married in real life, which I think is really cool and adds a little bit of extra weight, you know, for some reason in my own head when they're, you know, doing the romantic scenes in the, in the, in the series. Well, they're never really talking to each other, but you get what I mean. They know that the other voice is their significant other or something. I don't know. I like it. I just, I just, I just like it. Oh, man. I wish I was sponsored by Audible, which I'm not. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I don't know how to get an Audible. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know how to get them to sponsor me, but I'd love it. I'd love it. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there are interested in Wheel of Time audiobooks, uh, but if you are into it, I'd suggest you get a membership with Audible. Uh, and then use the credits to buy the books, right? Because, like, a Wheel of Time audiobook on Audible is, like, 40 bucks plus. But if you have, like, the monthly credit, which is about, you know, $15 a month for one, like, 22 a month for two, I mean, you can get those audiobooks. Plus, I don't know how it works on all of them, but when I go on my desktop, when I'm out of credits, they give me the option to buy three more for 34 bucks. So, like, that's how I got all the Harry Potter audiobooks. That's how I got most of my Wheel of Time audiobooks. I just, I love it. People should use those damn credits. They're wonderful. But I've been talking about, you know, Audible too long. So let's just get into the chapter. So, chapter 21 picks up the morning after that desperate escape from Shatter Logan. And it's a Nynaeve chapter. Nynaeve is asleep in this hollow, leaning back against a tree trunk and her horse is all sprawled out asleep next to her with the reins wrapped firmly around her wrist. Um, you know, she doesn't want to lose her horse. <laughs> um, and as some light creeped in and fell into the hollow and fell over the horse's eyes, it awoke and lifted its head, which, you know, woke up Nynaeve. When you have this giant animal pulling on your wrist, you know, you kind of wake up. <laughs> Nynaeve is a bit hard on herself here, though. Uh, It's just my opinion. She's upset she couldn't stay awake and alert all night, but they really haven't been getting much sleep lately. I mean, since leaving Bearlawn, suddenly, in the night, uh, after midnight, it what, like, they maybe might have gotten, like, a wink of sleep there, and then after that... You know, they got, like, an hour, and then they got, like, an hour in Shattered Logos. So, and a lot has happened. I just, I think she's giving herself too, I think she's being way too hard on herself. 
And I think she should give herself a break here. But that's just the kind of person she is. Uh, when I read about Nynaeve in this stuff, I see her as someone that is incredibly hard on others, yes. But she expects the same out of herself. You know what I mean? She's not going to bicker at Egwene and not expect herself to follow the same rules. And uh, I just, I love that about her. Yep, but she's just all like, Oh, good job falling asleep here, Wisdom. Great judgment. You could have woken up in a trollic cook pot for all of you. And I'm just sitting here going, Well, you know, that would have been the unlucky prospect. I mean, you could have never woken up at all if you were in a trollic cook pot. Or, you know, or if you did wake up in a trollic cook pot, you'd probably be, you know, in the middle of cooking. So that wouldn't be very pleasant. That wouldn't be very pleasant at all. And she uh, raises herself to peek out of the hollow, and she studies her surroundings, and she's like, all right, all right, I'm close to the river, and she can see the blue-green water that's entirely empty, no boats, no people, you know, there's only sparse trees around her, and she can see the other bank, and there's even less trees there you know, to grant cover, and she's like, I don't see any sign of anybody, but there's not really any reason for them to cross right in front of me, is there? You know, for all she knows, uh, anybody could be ten miles up or down river if they were alive at all after the night before. And this thought, of course, frustrates her as well. Thinking her fellow Emmonsfielders might be dead just pisses her off. Which is... Nynaeve all over. Uh, she thought about how not even Winter Knight or the fight before Shatter Logoth had prepared her for the fright and terror of escaping Shadar Logoth. You know, of encountering that terrible Mashadar or running through the city scared and separated, terrified that at any moment she might run into more Trollocs or a Fade or even Mashadar again. But besides that first encounter in the ruins, you know, right when everyone splits up and says, Whoa, hey, everybody, follow me this way. I'm not going to let it go. It makes me angry. Even Baalzaman thought it was stupid. I just, oh. <clears throat> anyway, so after they split up, she didn't even see any other Trollocs until she got outside the city. And there she just encountered like ten who seemed to pop up out of nowhere and they're running at her, catchpaws raised, howling and snarling like Trollocs do. And Nynaeve's like, oh shit. She turns her horse around, prepared to run, but then they just stopped. Raised their faces and seemed to sniff the air. And then they just turned around and ran the opposite direction. And that scared Nynaeve more than anything else. She's like, oh shit. They know the sense of who they want, and it's not me, you know? And it makes her afraid for the boys, and afraid for Egwene, and maybe a little bit irritable that the Aes Sedai might be right, you know? She lets out a shepherd, the, shepherd of the Night swallow her up, is the phrase she used when she said that Moraine might be right. Which seems to be maybe a I'll be damned sort of expression, you know? God, Nynaeve must hate having to admit Moraine is right about anything, even though Moraine is usually right about everything. <laughs> so Nynaeve decides to head carefully downriver, just because the Trollocs weren't necessarily after her anymore, just 
doesn't mean they'd let her go if they found her again. And, you know, she doesn't know where the boys are, so she just... Or Gwen, sorry. And she just picks a direction. So, she heads downriver. And she chose to walk her horse instead of riding, so it gives her the opportunity to study the forest floor uh, and check for tracks, so she could hopefully find out, you know, where her companions might have gone. But, you know, because the river... Should, wait, what, what happened? Study the floor for better perhaps, better for track. She hoped her companions. Okay, but she did not find anything about her companions. Sorry, I, I expected more there. Huh. So she's deciding the river should lead her to Whitebridge. And she could go from there to Camelin if she had to. And if she had to, she could go from Camelin to Tarvalin. Though the sheer magnitude of the journey did seem a bit daunting to her. But, you know... She's going to do what she has to do for the Evans Fielders. And uh, I love how she admits to herself that she's a little bit out of her depth here. Not unable to muddle through if needed, but, you know, she hadn't been any farther out of the two rivers than the boys had or Egwene had. You know, she's gone off. She, she goes to Tarn Ferry and feels like it's incredibly odd. And then she thinks about how... When she came to Bearlawn, she would have stopped and stared in absolute wonder around her at the sheer size and scope of the place if she hadn't been so committed to finding Egwene and the boys as soon as possible. But, uh, you know, so she's like, sooner or later she'd find Egwene and the boys or find a way to make the Aes Sedai answer for whatever happened to them. One or the other, she vowed. <laughs> She's already got her grudge with Moraine in full swing, man. Uh, and it really kind of came... It started in worry for her people and a bit of pettiness. But, you know, Nynaeve's not the type that lets things go easily, so... So she finds tracks from time to time, but never a clear sign of the people she's looking for. She finds mostly Trolloc tracks, you know, the goat, you know, feet or boots that are way too big. So no luck. She's not loving it, but no luck. And she has to keep going. So she'd been traveling about, oh, four miles when she smelled the wood of wood smoke. When she smelled the wood of wood smoke. When she smelled wood smoke from a bit further ahead. And she carefully approached, tied her horse to a tree a bit back and, you know, out of the way, and made her way to creep in for a better look. You know, it could be her friends, but it could also be Trollocs. So she'd have to get closer to find out regardless. Though if it was Trollocs... She wasn't exactly looking forward to seeing what was on the fire, if you get what I mean. So yeah, she kept cre creeping a little closer, cursing to herself that her skirts are not meant for stocking in these woods, when she came quietly upon the campsite, still hidden by the trees. And it's Moraine, sitting cross-legged in front of a campfire, heating a kettle, and Lan had apparently just returned from scouting the area. And the warder announces that 
everyone seems to be gone. The Murdral left without a trace a bit before dawn, and the Trollocs themselves seem to have, like, completely and utterly vanished. And they have no idea how they did that. Um, even their dead was gone, which apparently, according to Lan, isn't like them unless they're really hungry. Ugh, gross. Should it really surprise us by now, though, that the Trollocs can be cannibals? I, I guess not, but it's still gross. Ugh. Uh, Moraine tosses some tea into the kettle after pulling it off the fire, and she says it would be kind of great if they all just returned to Chattered Logoth and were swallowed up by Mashadar, but again, she shouldn't get her hopes up. <laughs> I love Moraine. She's so great. Uh, and poor Nynaeve is practically drooling over there in her hiding space over the tea. You know, her stomach growls. She's like, oh, it smells so unbelievably good. Uh, and she has to reprimand herself to keep listening. Now, I'll admit, at first I was kind of like, hey, well, while I was reading this, I was like, hey, Wisdom, why don't you just stop hiding and go to them? But then I remembered Moraine's kind of, well, she has this people need are on a need-to-know basis thing. You know, she keeps a lot of stuff close to the chest. And if Nynaeve did make herself known earlier or now, how much more would she learn at all? Really? Like, nothing Moraine didn't want to specifically tell her. So I kind of get it. Anyways, Lan is pacing up and down in the campsite, telling the Aes Sedai that the tracks are too muddled to find head nor tails of who went where, which Nynaeve takes for vindication. She's like, ha ha, not even the warder could suss out the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like if she couldn't do it, he better not be able to do it either. Uh, but there is something else he finds even more pressing, and it's how. According to Lan, there must have been close to a thousand Trollocs after them the other day. A few hundred in the two rivers is surprising, but he can accept that. But this? How could they get so many? It's obvious that they were only sent after they crossed the Tarn. And it was clear that one Murdral and a fist of Trollocs wouldn't be enough. But seriously, how did they do it? You know, this is something Lan really really wants to know and at first i'll admit while reading this i was a bit skeptical i was like a thousand trollocs nah it didn't seem like that many but then i realized he wasn't just referring to shatter logos you know he was referring to all of the trollocs that chased them to the ruined city. There's a reason they had to go there. And it's because the landscape was black with Trollocs. Like they couldn't even see the ground anymore. Uh, you know, it's the just this huge, terrifying mass that they encountered before they realized they had no choice but to go to that cursed city for shelter. So yeah, he was right, and I had no reason to be skeptical, and always, always do what Lan says. And believe what he tells you. Because Lan is boss. So, yeah. Uh, Moraine says that they were lucky more didn't enter the city to look for them, and that the Fades must have thought they wouldn't have hid in there. But then again, excuses really don't play well with the Dark One or Baalzaman, trust me, I know. You know, he was never a lenient master, so they kind of just had to do what they had to do. 
But Lan's having none of it. He's like, don't evade the question, Moraine. How could a thousand Trollocs be brought so far out of the Blight so damn fast? Especially without being discovered. How? And as a Borderlander, he's like, what would happen if they did this, whatever they're doing, and dropped a shitload of Trollocs in Shinar? Or Saldea? Or Arafel? The Borderlands could be overrun in a year. And, uh, they don't really talk about RFL enough in this series. RFL sounds good, but we actually know a bit about Shinar and Saldea. But RFL, maybe I should look up a bit up about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Maureen's like, we got bigger problems than the Borderlands right now, okay? If she doesn't find those boys, the, the world, whole world could be overrun in five years, you know? And she goes on to say how these shadow spawn are traveling so quickly and quietly is a problem, but she has no answers for it, you know? She's like, the ways are closed, and there hasn't been an Aes Sedai able to travel since the Age of Madness, unless one of the Forsaken are loose, but life saved them from that. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, first of all, as we are return readers to the series, like you should be if you're listening to the podcast, or else you're going to get incredibly spoiled by my random thoughtless comments about things further in the series. Um... But we, as return readers, see the flaw in Maureen's reasoning here. First of all, the ways aren't closed. They may be dark, they may be tainted, and they may be home to the awfully terrifying black wind, but that is how the Trollocs are moving. But there's no way for her to know that yet. You know, Maureen's a very logical woman, and the idea of Trollocs and the ways is a kind of foolish so why would she think of it you know Occam's razor when you hear when you see hoof prints you think horses not zebras so she's just like we'll figure it out but I don't know secondly we know that constructs like shadow spawn and if I remember right even the green man they can't go through gateways to them they'd be called death gates and they'd be sliced up they they, they can't go that way which is a uh, Godsend, because could you imagine if a Forsaken could just open a gateway and send in a thousand Trollocs wherever they wanted to go? Ooh, that would just be awful. I mean, send in a thousand Dark Friends, sure, you know, but a thousand Shadow Spawn, yikes. Whew. Um, and lastly, what if the Forsaken is free? And giving the boys shit in their dreams. But hey, they're too nervous, you know, thinking that he's the Dark One and a little too scared of Moraine to tell her about it just yet, you know? So, going on what she knows, even though she's wrong, she's not at least making the wrong choices right now. Which is good and shows how awesome Moraine is. Because Moraine is just... Moraine is the best. Moraine is just the best. I love her so much. Uh, anyways, back at the plot, Moraine says she hasn't just been sitting here, you know, on her ass, making tea while he went out scouting. She's been checking up on the boys the best she could with this mysterious bond business connected to the coins she gave them. She says once one of them is across the river, alive, and not too far from them, 
and that the others she felt a fate trace down river but the connection was broken by the time she started her search so she knows little beyond that they went down river so i'm going to stop the story again for a moment here to declare my displeasure at never getting a clear goddamn understanding of what Moraine did to form a bond with the boys and the coins. You know, the only thing I can think of, and I apologize if I have brought this up before, is that it must be like what Elaine did with that cut purse much, much later in the story during her whole, um, I believe it's while she was trying to gain the throne. Um... And she lays some weaves down on his belt buckle and, like, you know, the buckles of his boots and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so she could better keep track of him. And it's really the only thing I can think of that, you know, correlates to what Maureen did with the coins, you know. And uh, Elaine did spend some time with her aunt in Tear, so Maureen maybe did teach her the trick. But I always felt, you know, Egwene was more of Moraine's protege, and I don't really remember her ever using this weave, even though she's more talented with earth and metal than the daughter areas, so I, I don't, I don't know. Um, Land stops his pacing and asks if it's possible the Merdral heading south have the boys. Um, Merdral heading south... Did I, did I mention that Lan said that the Merdral's headed south this morning? If I didn't, I apologize, and I have now. Uh, and Moraine agrees it's possible, um, if more than a bit undesirable. However, she will not let herself believe they could be dead. Uh, I cannot, I dare not, you know how much uh, is at stake. I must have those young men. <laughs> oh, I don't have a dirty mind at all do i uh i get what she's saying but when maureen just says i must have those young men i'm thinking of what if liana said that later in the series <laughs> the context would be real <laughs> so uh she goes on that shale ghoul will hunt them i expect opposition from the white tower even from my bestie the armorland seat i accept there are always Aes Sedai who will accept only one solution, but, and that's when she notices. I like how she straightens and mutters to herself all irritably, if you watch the wolf too hard, a mouse will bite you on the ankle. <laughs> Great saying. And then she just turns and looks right into the trees where Nani was hiding and invites her to join them at the fire. Uh, I really like how Lan turned swiftly on the spot, drawing his sword, ready as Moraine finished saying it was Mistress Almira, and then he's just, like, all grumpy, and returns the sh sword to its sheath with a bit more force, you know, than was strictly necessary when he saw slash heard who it was. And, uh, Nynaeve looks at him and thinks he even looks a little chagrined, even though he's a very stone-faced so, <laughs> that made Nynaeve feel happier. Um, <laughs> so, she strode directly into the clearing, starting in way too hard, in my opinion. And uh, 
you've already heard this. This is my clip of the day. You know, she's asking what filthy Aes Sedai plot she had gotten Egwene and the boys involved in. Which, I mean, nothing she's said so far while Nynaeve was eavesdropping seems to suggest anything other than what Moraine has been telling her and the boys the entire time. All I could think of is that Nynaeve is embarrassed at being caught and wants to lash out. In you know, <laughs> I can't. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> Land puts himself between the two women, an arm barring her way, and Nynaeve tried to shove it out of the way, but was surprised that she couldn't. You know, she's like, "I'm not frail, but the war warder's muscles are unmovable." <laughs> I think I think that was another, you know, she's into the warder thing. Uh, Moraine offered her tea, which, which she was literally just drooling over, but the wisdom went all scornful about how, no, she didn't want her tea. Like, seriously, Kate rating is wonderful. When you heard that clip, didn't you hear the scorn? No, I don't want any of your tea. I just, she, she does naive very well. Um... Which, you know, which we we know the tea thing is a lie because a few moments ago she was drooling over it. I just, I love it. When Nynaeve gets upset, some of her logic goes out the window and she just likes to bite and scratch. And it's very funny to me. Uh, and understandable too. I've met people like that, you know. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're temperamental. I'm practically always grumpy in my day-to-day -day life. You know, I'll walk down outside and someone will be like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's just sunny and I don't like it. You know, you can't judge people on, on these kind of things. So, Nynaeve just keeps going on about how the ice and I won't be using any Emmons filters and her twisted plots. Blah, 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 blah. But, you know, here's the thing. I know Moraine had to broach the topic somehow, and that Nynaeve really did need to be told eventually, but her whole, you don't have much room to talk wisdom since you can channel too after a fashion, just does not make any sense to me. Honestly, channeling does not make you an Aes Sedai. They don't equate to the same thing. You know, the way of life, the oaths, undertaken are what make Aes Sedai, not the one power itself. So, well, but I guess Moraine really is Aes Sedai through and through, so maybe she would disagree with me on this topic, but yeah, it, it's totally out now. Moraine declares that Nynaeve can channel, not whenever she wants to, but that, you know, she does have the spark born in her, just like Egwene. And Nynaeve tries to call her a liar and, you know, pull some bullshit with, oh, yeah, why don't you just try claiming I'm a Trollic next? <laughs> oh, Nynaeve, come on, girl. You don't need to go that way. I don't know. You know, I, I've been giving um the White Cloak so much trouble. About, you know, if you do, if you disagree with us, you must be a dark friend. If you don't, you know, bow your head, you must be a dark friend. But, come on, Rand and Nynaeve have both called the Aes Sedai dark friend. And she's done nothing to, you know, earn that kind of talk. I don't, I don't know. I think they're just afraid 
and they're using their fear as an excuse to th say things that they don't entirely believe. But, you know, they have to have something to say. They have to find a way to get this emotion of frustration out. But still, uh, I, Maureen has incredible patience with all this bullshit. So, yeah, Maureen's just like, come on, girl. How do you think I knew you were behind that tree? It wasn't the Dark One's taint I was sensing. Sorry. Uh, it wasn't the Dark One's taint I was sensing like I do in Shadow Spawn. So what is it that I felt from you? Hmm. There's no way I couldn't stand face to face with a woman who could channel the one power and not know it. Even if they can only touch the source now and then. I sensed the potential in you just as you sensed it in Egwene. So at around this point, Lan looks down at her, and from what she can tell, only his eyes change a little bit. Um, having a little bit of surprise and speculation looking down at her. And Nynaeve didn't like it. She didn't like it one bit, you know? She thought about how she's always known Egwene was special. That Egwene would make a fine wisdom. But a moment later, later she thought shakes it off, thinking, the two were working together, trying to get her off balance. Um, what? What exactly has Lan do done to put you off balance other than hold out his arm to block your path from the ice and eye, or give you a speculative look? Okay, these are the reasons I'm not... No, these are the reasons I am so surprised when I hear people say that Lan and Nynaeve's, you know, relationship thing came out of nowhere. I mean, she can't even look at him in the eyes right now without feeling uncomfortable. And she's in no way a shy type of gal. It clearly didn't come out of nowhere. I think it's just that Jordan had only, like, two or three ways to write romance in this series, and most people didn't like it. And the most common is, I hate you. No, I love you. No, I definitely hate you because I love you so damn much and it's your fault, you know? Which I actually find more amusing than irritating, honestly. So it really didn't bother me, you know? Oh, unless the out-of-nowhere thing came from the switch from I think I kind of dig you to I totally love you now. But, you know, my thoughts on that are like this. It's a fantasy world set in a more or less medieval period in a perpetual state of decline, okay? I don't think this is a world where a lot of people spend time dating, you know? Too many kisses out of wedlock in this series seems to be looked down upon by an awful lot of characters, don't you think? You know, why do you think Matt Stock is so low for so long with so many of the more important female characters. I don't know. <laughs> Let me know what you folks think. I don't know. Comment or tweet me at, at the Gleeman Radio or possibly email me at gleemanradio at gmail.com. Maybe it's, maybe it's just because I'm a guy and I don't get it. So let me know your opinions, guys. So Nynaeve started to say she wasn't interested in listening to any more of the Aes Sedai's lies. But Moraine just goes on telling the wisdom that she must listen, you know, and she it goes on to explain how she suspected the fact that Nynaeve could channel before she ever even met her. How when she had come to the two rivers, 
she had heard about a young wisdom who was upset that her predictions of the weather and the crops were wrong, how her cures worked miraculously well, saving people who should have been crippled from injury, sometimes without so much as a scar or a limp. The only ill word she heard from a few who were from a few who grumbled that she was really too young for the post, but that only served to strengthen her suspicions. Um, that was the only complaint? I love Nynaeve, I really do, but she heard no one complaining about her temper. Really? Well, you know, maybe she did and thought it better not to bring it up now, <laughs> which probably is for the best seeing Nynaeve's reaction to all this. So first she tells them that Mrs. Barron, uh, the former wizard, wisdom, taught her well, you know? That's why she's so great. And then she has this very amusing inner raging about, how dare the village gossip to an outsider? How dare they? And then she asks Moraine, who exactly said she was too young? <laughs> Light. I love you, Nynaeve. I love you so much. You're just, you're just great. Uh, Moraine goes on about how, un you know, she ignores the whole, who said I was too young? And she goes on about how, unlike most women who claim the ability to listen to the wind, Nynaeve actually can. And how, oh, it has nothing to do with the actual wind, of course, but of air and water. It's something you ha it's not something you ever had to be taught. It was born into you, just as it was into Egwene. But you have learned to handle it, and she is not. And Moraine keeps going with, How do you think I knew you were wisdom? Within minutes of meeting you, I knew. But how do you think? There was nothing to distinguish you from any other pretty young woman preparing for a festival. Even looking for a young wisdom, she still expected to find someone twice Nynaeve's age. And Nynaeve thinks about it, and she remembers the meeting very well, and not in the best light. You know, she's walking around, and then she meets this gorgeous, beautiful woman with more self-position and assurance than all of the wisdom circle together, and a dress more beautiful than she could dream, addressing her as a child until she suddenly blinked and out of the clear blue sky asked, and Nynaeve didn't want to think about it anymore. She denied the Aes Sedai yet again, saying, you know, she was just trying to trick her, okay? If, if she could, if she could, well, she would know if she could. <laughs> but Moraine's like, how would you know? Why would you even suspect? You've heard about listening to the wind all your life. Besides, you'd rather name yourself Dark Friend to the whole village than admit to yourself in the tiniest recesses of your mind that you yourself have something to do with the power and the dreaded Aes Sedai. I love how Moraine's uh, face seems kind of amused as she's saying this. Oh, and she continues on about how she could possibly, probably, even tell Nynaeve how it began. And I love this. Not only does this give us, the readers, a lot of more information, not only does this educate Nynaeve a bit on the subject, whether she likes it or not, you know, 
but it also gives those readers looking close for answers to some of Rand's odd behavior. We finally know what that weird shit he was doing in Bear Lawn with the White Cloaks, and soon his upcoming crazed action aboard the Spray's mast. Um, she explains, it usually happens uh, when the person is young, you know, or younger, you know, than Nynaeve is now. Somewhere in their mid to late teens, they wanted something more than they ever had in their entire lives. Something they needed. And a branch, a branch falling down so someone could pull themselves out of the water before drowning. A pet or a loved one suddenly getting better when they should have or might have died. Or perhaps uh, a little cart horse being able to run alongside horses like Mandarb because someone is afraid of letting the rider fall behind. Or maybe even a boom coming loose and smacking a trollic off a ship. With a bone-crunching smash. I don't know. Maybe those are examples, too. <laughs> Whatever it was, they felt nothing special at the time, says Moraine. But perhaps a week to ten days later, they would be sent to bed with chills or a fever that would just disappear in a few hours. There would be headaches numbness, exhilaration, all mixed together. The reactions would vary, and the person starts taking stupid chances or acting giddy. Disney, dizziness would happen that makes it difficult to even take a step without falling down. Or perhaps they would try to speak, and their tongue would trip over all the words. And she's like, do any of these things ring a bell, Wisdom? So yeah, Nynaeve sits down hard on the grass, her legs unable to support her because, yeah, she remembered. But she didn't want to admit it to the Aes Sedai or herself, so she just kind of shook her head. You know, she thought it had to be a coincidence or that the Aes Sedai had asked way more questions than she had thought. Um, but Moraine was still not done. This is one of those heavy ex... <laughs> I can speak... This is one of those heavy exposition chapters, you see, and the Aes Sedai just went on saying she can even deduce more. That one, at one point, she must have either healed Egwene or Perrin with the power, because doing so creates a connection of sorts. And Nynaeve went straight to the Stag Lion after arriving in Berlon, with only those two being present at the time. Um... Hmm. I don't know if I have it in my notes, but I've always found that creates a bond connection thing kind of interesting because I don't remember if it shows up too more too often in the series after this. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff from the first book that doesn't really carry over. I loved Moraine and her staff. I loved it so much. So Nynaeve's like, it was a Gwen. You know, she admits it. But very unwillingly, you know. Apparently, she had always taken it for granted that she could sometimes know who was approaching her without looking. And now that she thought on it, it had always been people in which her cures had worked miraculously well. Apparently, 
when Egwene was a child and Nynaeve was still just an apprentice to Mrs. Bar Mistress Baron, the previous wisdom, she had set Nynaeve to watching over Egwene, who was in bed from breakbone fever. And the girl was in a bad, bad way. Horrible pain, drenched in sweat, tossing and turning, and Nynaeve just been terrified, you know? She had looked after the girl when she was a toddler, when her mom was too busy, and she was just so terribly, horribly afraid that she'd have to watch her young friend die. However, when the wisdom returned, Egwene's fever had broke, and Mistress Baronet apparently made more out of Nynaeve than Egwene. Nynaeve says that she always believed the former wisdom thought she'd given the child something and was just too afraid to tell, you know? And Mistress Baron was just making sure Nynaeve knew she hadn't hurt the girl. But, you know, a week later, she fell flat on her face in Mistress Baron's sitting room with a fever and shakes, but it'd been su it had subsided by supper, you know? Oh, man, Nynaeve's having a pretty tarred time with this. I mean, her thoughts here. The Aes Sedai had used good examples. Light burn her, using the power like an Aes Sedai. A filthy, dark friend, Aes Sedai. Come on, Nynaeve. Uh, there are dark friend Aes Sedais, but, you know, you just, you, just, you need it. Mm. Good stuff, but a lot of exposition, and I think I need to expand my vocabulary because I'm getting a little tired of putting down Moraine went on in my notes. However, <clears throat> Moraine went on to say that Nynaeve was very lucky that she had managed a crude control of the power. Even though touching the source comes only at random, and she can't control it. Because if she hadn't learned to handle it, she would have died. Yep, straight up, just dead. Uh, much like Egwene possibly will, if Nynaeve keeps trying to stop her from going to Tarvalin. However, to no one's surprise at all, the Wisdom has trouble with this. She's like, no, no, if I survived it, Egwene can too. But Maureen explains that Aes Sedai search for young women with a spark inborn almost as seriously as they do with men with a spark. Not to bolster their numbers, or at least not only that, nor that they might misuse their powers with the crude control they gain, but, according to Moraine, to save their lives. According to the Aes Sedai, only like one in four women who have the spark inborn, survive without a teacher. And again, Nynaeve's like, you're lying, okay? I had all of those symptoms you listed, and she's really not happy, happy to admit it, though. But, you know, she has to, to, like, you know, call her out. And she's like, they weren't enough to kill anyone. But the Aes Sedai's like, no, those were only reactions. Each coming in turn with the symptoms, and each time the reaction takes less time until they practically happen in the same moment. However, after the reactions are over, it's like an invisible clock starts counting down to their doom. You know, sometimes a year, sometimes more, but if they are not incredibly lucky, like Nynaeve, they'll die. 
And not a pretty death either, if any death can be called so. I love that line from Moraine, if any death can be called so. It's great. Convulsions and screaming, and once that begins, not all the White Tower together can save the young girl. And Nynaeve tries one last stubborn effort of denial. She's like, no, the Aes Sedai is lying. She must have just questioned the villagers better than she had possibly conceived of, you know? That she had learned of Egwene's childhood fever and hers as well. But, like, even she couldn't even fully believe her own denial. And Moraine is just simple and to the point. You know I did not. You know I'm not lying. And slowly, very slowly, and painfully, if I guess her character right, Nynaeve nodded. It had been her last attempt. But she did remember that Mistress Baron's earlier apprentice, before Nynaeve, had died the same exact way the Aes Sedai described. And also another, just a few years back, in Devon Ride who was also a wise one, wise one apprentice, a wisdom's apprentice, and that one could also listen to the wind. So yeah, Nynaeve might be angry and, you know, everything, but she is, have that, she is not stupid, you know? She's like, shit, I can't really deny this anymore. Freak, <laughs> you know? Um, and Maureen's like, you have great potential, I think. The Aes Sedai went on, with a bit of training, you'd probably become even stronger than Egwene. And Moraine thinks she has the potential, Egwene, to be one of the most powerful Aes Sedai in centuries. At this, though, Nynaeve recoiled like Moraine was a snake or something, right? She's just like, oh, what? I don't want to have anything to do with, with, and then like her inner monologue's like, what? herself, who I am, it's just, see, she's already, her own inner self is already fighting back with her frustrations, I love it. Not able to deal with this much longer, she asks Moraine to keep this between themselves for now, even saying, please, which was just awful for her. <laughs> I believe her inner monologue tells us she'd rather have Trollocs rush in there, into the campsite, Rather than say please to this woman. <laughs> oh, Nynaeve, you're so damn stubborn. Anyways, Moraine just nods her assent without hesitation because Moraine is awesome. And then Nynaeve asks a kind of dumb question. But I won't give her too much of a hard time here for this. Because she just had a lot dropped on her today, and she's, she's struggling a bit. So, Nynaeve asks Moraine what she wants with the boys. Which, I mean, the Aes Sedai has explained it before. So much patience, Moraine. How do you manage? I swear. Moraine replies, quite simply, if the Dark One wants something, I oppose it. Can there be a simpler reason or better? And I'm like, no, no, Moraine. That was a perfectly acceptable answer. Now, Nynaeve, just accept it. 
Next, Moraine turns to Lan and tells him that they'd be pursuing the boys going south and that she fears the wisdom won't be accompanying them. Oh, man. Oh, Moraine's just so great here. A quick bit of reverse psychology that Nynaeve falls for at once. You know, she just bristles, you know, and she's like, what do you, what do you, you know, she, <laughs> Nynaeve bristles from head to toe at the Aes Sedai's comment like the way she said wisdom made her feel as if the Aes Sedai was claiming that she was supposedly giving up something great for something petty so of course she's like oh yes I will be coming you can't keep me from it and Lan's like, no one's trying to keep you from it. You see, Nynaeve, you're welcome to come. Now, this statement is a little odd to me. Lan's been stern with the boys, sure, but companionable enough, I guess. But the way he's welcoming Nynaeve along, I don't know, maybe he's as already as taken with her as she is of him. I think Lan would find any woman who could, you know, sneak up on him or track him down to be pretty attractive in its own right. And the book makes it clear that Nynaeve is quite pretty besides, so... But I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Nynaeve bristles again at the supposed, what she feels is an unspoken Sedai when he speaks her name. But I think that was her thing, not really what he meant, but whatever, moving on. I, I don't know what else to make of it. So Lan goes out to fetch the Wisdom's horse so they could leave. And Nynaeve's just standing there all smug, right? Because she's still frustrated at everything that happened. But she's like, I snuck up on the water without him noticing. And I don't leave many tracks when I'm stalking through the woods. And she expects him to come back empty-handed with the horse, which, I mean, I don't think she's giving him quite enough credit yet, or maybe she's just overestimating herself here. I, I don't, I don't know. Nynaeve asks the Aes Sedai, why south? And for good measure, how does she know where they are at all? And Moraine explains the coins and that they create a bond. And when Nynaeve looks in the direction of the warder, Moraine's like, no, 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 not like that. You know, it only allows me to find them and know if they're alive. Prudent in this situation, no? But a stubborn Nynaeve's just like, I don't like anything that connects you with Two Rivers, folk. But if it helps us find them, she'll live with it for now. Moraine confirms that, yes, it will indeed help them find them. Uh, and this is where, for the first time in the chapter, Moraine's voice feels, fills with frustration, which is impressive, seeing with all of Nynaeve's nonsense and goading. You know what I mean? And she admits that she really, really would prefer to go and collect the young man on the other side of the river first, you know, because he's not that far away. But she doesn't have the time to find a way in order to cross. So she must pursue the others that no longer have their coins. You know, because the Merdral could either have them 
or being pursuing them or waiting to ambush them all in White Ridge. Regardless, they have the most need. Now, I agree with her here, but at the same time, I just... Knowing the Aes Sedai powers, I don't know why she couldn't perhaps channel her way across the river, right? Make a, like, foot-and-a-half-long, wide uh, bridge of ice that she could walk across and then send up, like, I don't know, some one-power skylights, you know? Some flashes and booms that could call Perrin's attention and Egwene's attention. Egwene would have come running, but no... <sighs> she's just like, we're going to go on, and I, I guess that's fine. They're going to pursue Matt and Rand and Tom, not knowing Tom's there, and at the same time, still end up getting Perrin first. So whatever. Um, Nynaeve asks where Egwene is, seeing as all this time, I said I didn't bring her up when she's talking about one boy's across the river, two or down river. She's like, well, you didn't mention Egwene. Where is she? And Morin's like, I don't... I don't know. And, uh... <laughs> which sets Nynaeve off again. To nobody's surprise. She's like, you don't know? All your talk of saving her life. And she could be dead for all you know. And Moraine's like, I don't believe she's dead. You know? And she explains to Nynaeve that she could stay and look for her. And give the Murdral an even greater lead towards the other boys. But, you know, the Dark One's not after her, he's after the boys. And they wouldn't bother with her when their quarry is left uncaught. And Nynaeve briefly remembers her encounter with the Trollocs the previous night. But she didn't really want to think about that. She wanted to keep raging, which was a much better alternative to her. So she's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Egwene could be lost or hurt, for all you know, alone, with no villagers or anybody else around except us to give her aid. But you want to go. That, that's great. Oh, good for you, I said that. And I need being a brat, and I, I, I don't mind it at all. But Moraine just replies that she could just as easily be across the river with the other boy. Which she is, but not like with Perrin as of yet, but she will be soon. You know, or she could be downriver with the other two, but no, that's Tom. Besides, she's strong, intelligent, and quite capable of making her own way if she must. Which is true. Egwene is strong and intelligent and capable, so yeah. And Nynaeve knows that. So, yeah, she, she's going to have to sort out herself, you know. I said I has shit to do. And she goes on that she fights the Dark One. And for now, that sets her path. She must pursue those in the greatest need. And that means going downriver. And uh, Nynaeve turns away. You know, her eyes filled with tears here. She's like, light. A wisdom is supposed to look after all of her people. Why did she have to choose like this? You know, and <laughs> I get it. Nynaeve is angry. Nynaeve can be venomous. But she is incredibly loving and caring. She really is, you know? And I get her pain and frustration here. I do feel bad for her because she just wants everyone to be okay. Uh, so she's sitting there pouting a little bit, trying to hide her tears from the eyes to die. And it was only a small blow when the warder returned leading her horse. 
I, I don't really get Nynaeve's frustration here, though, you know, with the feeling it would have been better if Lan had been gloating or something? I don't know. Maybe she wanted someone else to yell at because it wasn't working well with the Aes Sedai. But no, Lan's just blank-faced, stone-faced, and hands her the horse. But then his eyes go, like, wide when he sees her tears. Um, which for Lan is a big statement, you know? They keep going on and on in these books. That Lan and Ruark, right? A widening of the eyes or the dropping of a jaw. These are, like, the same as, like, Matt, like, going, Oh my god! You know what I mean? Just, just that little motion. So, Lan was very surprised to see Nynaeve crying, you know? But... <laughs> Nynaeve, in a bad mood, having been forced to hear things she didn't want to hear, being forced to choose one set of people to go find rather than others, she's just not in the mood, and she takes it as a mockery of her crying. Of course. You know, she is in a terrible mood, but, like, that's not what he was doing, and she should have known that. So, the chapter ends with a party of three mounting their horses and heading south. Nynaeve made, her, made herself face forward, not wanting to look back again towards where Egwene might be or where the other boy might be. She just stares ahead, glaring at the Aes Sedai's back, you know? She was so confident in her power, so confident in her plans. But if they didn't find Egwene and all the boys alive and well, she would make the Aes Sedai pay. Not all her power would save her. And she's like, I can use it too, woman. You said I could. I can use it against you. <laughs> so not only is this ramblings, not only is this just her chewing out Moraine in her head, She's, it's, it's an oath now, you know, she is against Moraine. <laughs> and that is the end of chapter 21, Listen to the Wind. That was a pretty damn good chapter. It really was. It was great having uh, some time away from Rand. Um, uh, Rand's fine, but the, you know, Boy Scout good guy routine gets a little dull at times you know um and it was we got a moment with Perrin but it was just so short so getting a full Nynaeve chapter was just frankly it was wonderful and Kate Reading is such a talented uh you know voice actress and narrator just as Michael Kramer is you know I just I love it so much Poor Nynaeve is so upset about being able to channel. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think that's everything, folks. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, if you really enjoy the show, maybe perhaps check out my Patreon. Uh, there's tiers as low as a dollar a month. And with that, you get shout-outs every now and then, uh, your name in the description every now and then, um, and uh, with the Dragonsworn tier, the $1 tier, you can get a ticket a month for the monthly Wheel of Time, you know, drawing. I'll be doing the prize drawing I'll be doing on the first podcast of every month 
starting in September. You know, it could be anything from Wheel of Time coin set to mugs to shirts to, you know, if worse comes to worse and I'm having a hard time finding good products, an Amazon gift card. You know what I mean? I'm bribing you people here. Just, just. <laughs> um, but if you're not interested in that, a great, really, a great free way to support the podcast would be to write a review on iTunes. It would really get me more viewers, and it would be, like, ridiculously wonderful. I'd even read it on air if you'd like. Um, if you have any constructive criticism, or you just want to criticize and complain, or, you know, anything at all, uh, tweet me at Radio or email me at gleemanradio at gmail.com. You know, comment, like, subscribe, do all that stuff. It's great. Um... <laughs> I have to get back to Angel, okay? The uh, LA Fang Club is about ready to try to exercise a demon out of a not-so-innocent child, and I want to get back to that. So uh, I need to publish this and render this and then post it. So, And it is currently just before 9 p.m. because I'm a lazy SOB, and I woke up for just a little bit this morning and did a few things and then got right back into bed before 10. And I slept until 3. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I must have been more tired than I thought. Uh, so I'm sorry about not posting yesterday on Friday like I should have. Um, I had almost everything set up. I had my notes almost completely done, which should have been done the day before. Uh, but then my grandma's air conditioner wasn't working. So I had to go get her a new one and then install it and, you know, lifting something like that, installing something like that in a hundred degree temperature, I just, I was, I was done. I was, I was just wasted away. So, um, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day wherever you are, morning, afternoon, or evening. Take care. Peace out. Bye.